0: The Discerning Geeks Portal's Babylon 5 spin-off podcast was a dream given form. Its goal, to review each episode of Babylon 5, a show about officers, telepaths, criminals, and ambassadors. Humans and aliens wrapped in five seasons of storytelling. Standing tall amongst the rest, it can be a classic show, but it's our lasting best hope for science fiction. These are our reviews of the original Babylon 5 TV show. The year is 2022. The name of the podcast is Discerning Lurker's Portal.
1: Welcome back, lurkers, to the Discerning Lurker's Portal, a look into the world of Babylon 5, one episode at a time. I'm David, and I'm here with Todd, an unofficial Babylon 5 expert.
0: Todd, how's it going this evening? Oh, pretty good, I'm still not sure about the word expert, but uh, (laughs) more, more like enthusiast. Enthusiasts. I like
1: that. That's good. You got all the knowledge. You got all the knowledge. Uh, it's been a little bit since we recorded. Um, we're still trying to work out a few details as, uh, as our schedules keep changing and things coming up. But uh, been to Dragon Con. We've had a lot going on. I think I've changed jobs about twice in the last three months. So. And your job keeps changing around you in some ways with different roles. Yeah, sort so. of. Yeah. <laughs> We've had a lot going on. I'm glad our listeners are bearing with us, and we apologize for the long delay. But we are back and excited to do another episode of the Discerning Lurkers Portal, a discerning look into Babylon 5. Are you excited about this episode,
0: um uh, sort of. It's it's not one of the worst ones, but not one of the best ones either. Okay. Okay. I agree. How about you? I
1: agree. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's definitely better episodes, but uh, it was interesting and it had its moments. So, so let's get right into it. This week, we are discussing the episode, By Any Means Necessary. Uh, Sinclair deals um, on Babylon 5 with dock workers striking and all the conflicts that that has, both on Babylon 5 and the politics that it deals with at home. And this has the unintended consequences of messing up a religious ceremony that Jakar would like to perform. Um, And he finds out that Malari holds all the cards as a rare plant that's needed for the religious ceremony is in his hands, and time is running out for him to perform the ceremony. So, yeah, so talk to me about this episode. You've got all the the details in our rundown.
0: Yeah, so this is the 12th episode of season one as far as uh, transmission order. It was the 14th produced. Uh, a lot of season one was kind of produced out of order. Um, there's also the JMS order or J. Michael Straczynski viewing order. Uh, it's kind of the, the order in which the creator of the show uh, feels like things might flow a little bit better. And in later seasons, there there isn't that much difference. But uh, there are a few things that are switched around in season one. And we're not to the point of deviation yet. Uh, we're recording two episodes tonight for this one and the one that comes right after. But after that, the JMS viewing order does change a little bit. So a couple episodes from now, you might want to look for us to, uh, to guide you a little bit through that different viewing order. This episode was originally aired during the week of May 11th, 1994. It was written by Catherine M. Drennan. It was directed by Jim Johnston. And a couple interesting things about those two people. Uh, Catherine Drennan was actually J. Michael Straczynski's wife at the time. Um, and I've got a little bit of information later about how he really was super concerned about avoiding any sense of nepotism. So he made her jump through all kinds of hoops that I'm not even sure he made other writers jump through. Uh, and also Jim Johnston, I think is one of the more prolific of the Babylon five directors. Uh, this is the fourth of six season one episodes that he directed. And according to my notes, he directed 12 overall throughout the series.
1: All right, so that sums
0: up our Blue Sector
1: with all of our
0: facts about
1: this episode. And so let's move right on through our lift and get to Red Sector and start with our initial reactions. Please watch your
0: step. This is a low-gravity area. Please hold handrails at all times. Leaving Blue Sector. Now entering Red Sector.
1: What's your initial reaction on this, this episode, Todd?
0: Well, as I said earlier, this isn't one of the worst episodes, but not the best either. It is somewhere in the middle. But I will also say that considering what the subject matter is, that it's a Docker strike, how interesting could that be? And the thing is, (laughs) it actually ends up being somewhat interesting for what it is. And there are a few flaws that we can cover, cover along the way. But for the most part, it's actually pretty cool. And it does do a really good job of highlighting the Sinclair character, too. So... Um, I'm sure we'll get into that more later, too. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that this kind of episode is as good as it is.
1: So my initial reaction, I wasn't super keen on the whole dock worker strike plot. To me, it was just ho-hum. But it was still had its interesting moments, and we'll definitely discuss that or uh, some more in detail. Um, you know, anytime you get some direct conflict with Jakar and Malari it's just fun on Babylon. (laughs) They do so well at what they do and, and seeing their conflict and how they're just constantly looking to get that dig in on each other and mess Mm -hmm. with each other any way that they can. In many ways, I would say kind of saves this episode and, and makes it a whole lot better. So I I love that plot. I love kind of their interaction. I did enjoy kind of seeing Sinclair really be able to kind of stand out. You know, he, he definitely, you know, is dealing with a lot in this episode and he kind of carries the episode. When it gets to the scenes where it's mostly just the dock workers talking about strikes, strikes, strike, it almost lost me. But then, when his interaction and how he handles everything, it, it really pulls it out in the end and helps out. So, so yeah, we've we've talked about it already. We do have these two plot lines going side by side. We've got the dock workers, and and the conditions are are tough, right? They're They're dealing, they're, they're working for a government agency, and and the government agency is going through budget budget cuts. So they're having to to constantly work more than what they should, and because they're you know essential type workers, they they don't get off and and they can't strike and they shoot. I forgot what they called it. There's a the something Act, the Rush the, Act, Rush Act that you know keeps getting threatened. That basically they can use physical force and 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 violence to ensure that these people workers keep working because they're, they signed a contract and there's all of that going on. And then, like I said, the B plot is this conflict as it starts off, I guess the, the ship that's bringing the flower. uh, One of the flowers to Jakar uh, is actually one of the first victims of this strike and, and some of these conditions, not the strike itself, but what kind of fuels the strike. Uh, some some faulty equipment and overworked and tired people and things like this causes a collision in one of the docking bays. And the Narn vessel was the, the victim and was lost. And it was bringing Jakar this flower, setting him on a hunt to find one. And turns out that Malari is the only one anywhere nearby that has one. And then even seeing Cl- Sinclair deal with those two as it's almost like their petty struggle in the big picture of things, but he handles it so well that it's very entertaining. Um, What else about the, the the plot or any of that 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 you want to go over Todd that I may have missed?
0: Okay. So you mentioned the flower, the Jaquan F and that is kind of centered around some of the religious beliefs of Jakar And one of the reasons that's so cool is you remember there was an episode a while back where we got to see some of the religious uh, ceremonies of the various races, but it was mostly uh, the Minbari and the Centauri. Uh, We got a little bit at the end with uh, Sinclair's neat little trick of showing that, Mm -hmm. you know, there's not just one dominant belief system on Earth. And we might have gotten a little bit of mentions of some of the League worlds, maybe some of their beliefs. For some reason, the Narn kind of got left out. Well, I think this episode does a good job of going back and backtracking and filling in some of those blanks by showing us some religious stuff. For Jakar, uh, yeah. about how this plant—the reason it's so important—is it's burned as incense? I guess you could still ask the question: Okay, so it's incense, but why is that so important to the ceremony? Because he's doing all these chants and stuff like that. It's like, and there there has to be something about the timing. You know, I guess you could ask the question: Are the chants enough? Is the timing enough? Do you really absolutely have to have the incense? And apparently, it is. And and I guess we don't totally get that answered, but it's one of the things we just kind of have to accept, but it is nice to get that thing that was kind of missing a few episodes ago. And then of course that does lead to, like you said, some conflict because Londo has, has flower and stuff like that in their sparring back and forth. Another thing that's neat is another call back to the past, uh, all the way back to the very first weekly episode, the, uh, uh, midnight on the Firing Line, because the whole reason that Londo is messing with Jakar is in revenge for what happened at Ragesh 3. Yep. And so it's not like these two just hate each other for random reasons. We actually get a call back to something kind of specific. And let me see. This maybe isn't the smoothest transition, but just kind of going through my notes, going back to the whole religious thing. We do get a mention uh, I think it's Londo that actually points out that the Narns still worship their son. And I don't know if he elaborates on that too much. And it's either um, established in this episode or I think technically, um, well, I've got it in my notes. So I can't remember if I if it's specifically mentioned or if I just put it here as kind of like a reminder. But we know that Londo's people have a full pantheon of household gods. right? Uh, and that was explored in that previous episode that I was talking about. Uh, And then one other little piece of trivia about the dock workers is it's one of those things that we don't often think about. We kind of just we don't really focus on the whole blue collar aspect of of what makes Babylon 5 work. But at some point they mentioned that there are over a thousand dock workers on Babylon 5. So apparently it takes a lot to keep Babylon 5 moving. And so it is kind of interesting to see that side of it and it would get boring if every episode were about dock workers and people possibly striking and stuff like that but to get it in one episode does add some flavor and shows us a different side of things
1: yeah no it is kind of cool i think the seeing that aspect was was kind of interesting um and we know that those it takes these crews kind of behind the scenes and i think it is interesting that every so once every once in a while babylon 5 likes to To go a little into those areas it goes into those kind of rough corners of the the station uh with some of the criminal underworld and then with this not necessarily the criminal underworld but just like you said the the regular SMOs, the blue collar workers and get to see kind of what some of the conditions were like for them and uh so yeah it it was interesting
0: well i was just wondering what you thought about sinclair's solutions to things
1: well, that was yes. I mean, that was actually the to me the highlight of the episode. Both with his solution for the um, strike workers, I thought was was pretty creative and uh, and and showed his resourcefulness and also his um, solution with this flower, this Chukan F. Um, that he ends up getting from Londo. And basically it was like, hey, it's a controlled substance. Uh, or there's elements of it that are a controlled uh, substance. So because of that, I will have to confiscate it. There was also a, an element, I think, where, uh, or a moment where Jakar has had stolen or had somebody stole, steal um, one of the religious statues from Malari, And and I think the whole way that it came about was just pretty, pretty well done. He was able to find a solution to make both parties happy and and really just defuse the whole situation. And then even with the dock workers, you know, it escalates to this point where they enable the Rush Act. And because they do that, he's able to then he's automatically granted these certain powers to be able to end the strike any way necessary. And it was, you know, kind of the thought that he would be able to just go in and use his security forces and and bully the situation. But he was able to, well, you've given me this power. I'm going to now be able to rewrite the budget to where... You know, I'm going to put money where these place in these places that was needed to begin with. Most governments like to to funnel the money into the the military and things like that. And so, um, it would basically almost the equivalent today of taking a big chunk of the military budget and putting it towards something like education or healthcare. You know. um,
0: Why would we do that?
1: And he was able to do it kind of unilaterally just because of the way that this particular law was written. Um, And so, yeah, that was pretty neat. Uh, I, I enjoyed that a lot. I think he, and again, that showed that he was kind of the highlight of this episode.
0: Yeah, and one other nice solution he had was the whole thing about, the time sensitive nature of Jakar's ritual, the way he figured oh, yeah. out that, that, you know, light has a certain speed at which it travels, and therefore the light that would be here in one place will be here uh, on the station at another time. And I can't help but wonder if he really did the math, and surely he didn't. <laughs> but just the sheer creativity of the thought, I think, might have been enough to convince Jakar that, oh, yeah, you're right. Light in one place isn't where light in one place at one time is not in another place at the same time. And so it's almost like he was able to say, that's, that's a good enough loophole. Let's just throw timing out the window. And it actually made the, uh, just the you F more important than the timing. So, yeah, I, I kind of appreciate that. And as much as I love Babylon five, one of my little nitpicks and one of the things I can't help, but wonder might change if, and when it gets a reboot is that, uh, Earth does not have its own ambassador. They make the commander of the station act as the ambassador. And this episode, I, I just happened to think of this while we were talking, is maybe a little bit of an extension of that because I can't help but wonder if Sinclair should have a staff doing some of this thinking for him, whether it be as a commander or an ambassador, or a little bit of both. You know. Uh, the this stuff about coming up with how fast the uh, light travels and the whole legal loophole of the plant being a controlled substance would that really be stuff that he would think up on his own or would he delegate that out? But of course, because this is a show where we want to paint you know certain characters as heroes and there's only so much budget uh, for uh, you know NPC characters. It all has to go to him, but because it goes to him, it just makes him look like that much more of a genius. Right. Yeah. (laughs) No.
1: Yeah. I definitely see that. It's in the same way that what do they call it? the, the hero armor, you know, whatever you're the bullets fly, they don't hit certain people. Um, but in the same way when the heroes shoot, you know, they always target the most important (laughs) bad guy. Um, so yeah I, I agree um that's pretty cool uh anything else in red sector or are we ready to move on to our um, green that's it for me? sector so we'll hop on the tube and head to our green sector
0: now entering green sector
1: this is where we'll get into talking a lot about the characters and quotes and things like that this is usually one of our favorite sectors so why don't you start us off kind of going in a little bit of the behind the scenes stuff with some of the characters and and that who we get to see maybe for the first time or the last time and and why that is talk to us a little bit about some of those special characters
0: yeah if i remember correctly you're kind of a fan of natoth right i am i thought natoth was cool yeah Yeah. So this is her third appearance out of eight. Um, And as played by Julie Caitlin Brown, um, this she only plays the character the first five times. And then one last time, two middle times it's played by uh, another actress and not not quite as as good as Julie Caitlin Brown. But so this is kind of her middle appearance in uh, in those early seasons. Um, So, yeah, we don't get quite enough of her, but it's kind of interesting here. I don't think I have this in my notes, but I think we learned a little bit about her religious upbringing, about how I think she had one parent who worshipped Jalan. uh, So a different character kind of showing that alien races don't have just one religion. They have at least a few. Right. uh, Kind of the same way humans have a whole lot. And that I think it was her mother that didn't believe much of anything. And the Toth is kind of somewhere in the middle uh so that was kind of interesting um macaulay burton makes another appearance as garibaldi's aide uh not only am i not sure he ever gets a name but he's uncredited in this episode and i'm not sure he has a speaking part but it's still important because he'll factor in later on so just pay attention to him okay uh there was a reporter in this episode played by Patricia Healy, and the reporter's name is Marianne Kramer. And it's weird because she is kind of barely a recurring character. This is her second appearance, but also her last. And then we get John Snyder back again in Babylon 5. Uh, He played the negotiator, Oren Zento, before he played the second Soul Hunter in uh, Episode 2 that was just called Soul Hunter. Uh, so, this time he didn't have to wear any makeup or anything, but I think his performance might have been better when he was wearing the makeup. <laughs> um, I, I wasn't really impressed with the performance. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, it, yeah. and speaking of uh, guest actors, there was also Kate Boyer as Neo McConnolly, Ari said John Snyder's Orenzinto, Jose Ray as Eduardo Delvientos, and Patricia Healy as Marion Kramer. And it's weird because I know that he's a good actor because he was good as a soul hunter. He was also in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. I think the episode was called The Masterpiece Society and he was playing somebody who was genetically engineered and he was the leader of that colony and he was good in that. And actually, I'm starting to remember that he was also in another Next Generation episode, that time playing Alien. I think he might have been Bakra, a Romulan... In an episode, I don't think it was called Enemy Mine, but it was enemy something. Maybe it's just the enemy. Uh, but he was good in that, too. So I'm not sure what happened here, but it just seems like there was a lot of teeth grunting. I, I Let me see. I can't remember what. Actually, never mind. I'll say that for Brown Sector, because I've got that moment. Okay. It's about, about what, what his acting was like. Now, on the opposite side, I would say Kate Boyer as Neoma Colony. Uh, Connelly, she was actually pretty good. I thought she was really effective as being somebody who was kind of in charge of protecting interests of the blue collar workers, but without necessarily being blue collar herself. Uh, so what did you think of right. her? She was
1: probably the highlight of the kind of the dock worker strike. Had some issues with the Eduardo Del Vientos character hmm. it, it came across a little flat especially for someone who was supposed to be very emotionally tied to the stock workers but again i may save that for the brown sector kind of talking about some nitpicks there yeah the uh you know it's hard to play i think sometimes the person who's just supposed to be the dick to be a dick i mean you know. yeah <laughs> it's like i want you to go in and just be you know, absolutely stone faced and careless, and don't care about anything except it's your way or the highway. And I think that's a very hard role to play. But at the same time, it's also kind of like eh, it just it comes across flat, as kind of and and very one dimensional. But yeah, I thought her character was was pretty interesting because she was definitely trying to work towards solutions. You know, she had a side, but at the same time, she knew that if it got too bad one way, that it was going to be bad for her side, that people were going to get hurt, things like, you know. And so she was trying to come up with a solution that would work, and she was – so I thought that was an interesting way to to approach that. I thought it was yeah. – it, it would have been even less interesting if you had both being one-sided, one-dimensional characters – the, the conflict is just pointless,
0: you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and it looks like uh, I was right. John Snyder did play Bakra in a third season episode of next generation, and it was called the enemy. So I actually had that right. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: I did see,
1: and this, I don't know, you may have this in some of your behind the scenes notes. I saw this on um, some of the research I was doing. Uh, it talked about Sinclair and how most of the episode he had like a five o'clock shadow and, and looked very haggard um, and that yes that was you know partly good acting but at the same time they said uh, that in some of the scenes he was jet lagged because he had just had to like fly back from doing a stage performance I think mm. in New York he was. Really, really tired and <laughs> kind of jet lagged yeah. as he was doing the episode. And, and it, it was well done. So,
0: yeah, and the director told him not to shave. So, yeah.
1: yeah. Well, let's get into my favorite section. And I, because I always think that these are, there's always a good few good quotes in a
0: Babylon 5 episode. I'll let you go first. Which one you want to go with? Okay, so I won't do the entire quote or what leads up to it, but several people are on on deck on CNC. They're all annoying Ivanova, and she's just had it. So she makes some kind of threat for all of them to leave CNC, and she's giving them a countdown five, four, three. They're already out the door. Then Garibaldi comes in, and he just finishes up two, one what I miss?
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think, actually, that was another scene Sinclair was like, I'm going to give you 10 seconds to anybody that's not authorized to be here needs to be off the bridge. <laughs> and, uh and yeah, she starts ushering them all out, counting down. And Garibaldi just goes, and it was kind of cool, because he just picked up on that. So I'm, I'm going to do another one. And, and this I just thought was kind of an interesting, and, again, it was Gives us a little insight into Jakar and Sinclair. Sinclair had come up with this plan or or was able to get the flower to Jakar for him to perform his ceremony and was able to talk to him about the time differential as the light traveled and things like that. Um, And Jakar goes, Commander, you are a far more spiritual man than I give you credit for. And Sinclair's response was just, "There are a couple of Jesuit teachers that I know who might disagree with you." And it was like, "Huh." Well, he does have a little bit of a religious background. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that we're we're shown that a whole lot, but I thought that was that was pretty cool. You want to go ahead with your other one because this was actually one of my absolute, probably for me the the quote of the whole episode. But I'll, I'll let you go for it.
0: It's near the end where there's kind of a conclusion to the whole conflict with the, the dock workers. And Zinto says, you can't do this. And Sinclair says, you're right. I couldn't until you convinced the Senate to invoke the Rush Act. You should never hand someone a gun unless you're sure where they'll point it. You're a mistake.
1: I love that. I mean, he just ruled that situation. Uh, and you could tell going into it, Zinto had this feeling that Sinclair had some other solution that he was going to have to do, um, and it was going to be on his side, but Sinclair kind of flipped the switch on him and uh, and made it come out a little differently, and I thought that was pretty cool. And kind of following up on that, and this was you know just a couple of lines later, uh, Zento goes, you know damn well you twisted the intent of that order, and you won't get away with it. And Sinclair goes, I think Miss Connolly said it best the other day. Stuff it. Yeah. <laughs> it just yeah. kind of shoved it back in his face. Some good quotes. This was a good, you know, had a few good ones in there. Um, but now we've got a, did you have any more you wanted? Or are you ready no, to move no, on? to? No. So let's move on to our Brown sector.
0: Now entering Brown sector.
1: This is where we get a little nitpicky and talk about some of the negatives. Why don't you go ahead and start us off. What you got with one?
0: Well, you mentioned Eduardo. And I don't know if you were talking about the acting or the character, the, the writing or the concept of the character. I was okay with the acting and the overall concept, except that I think it's a little bit weird that the death that happens on board during the, the dock accident is his brother. And then Eduardo goes right back to work and he's dealing with these negotiations. I mean, he's not necessarily the one negotiating, but he's the one who's kind of standing by uh, uh, Ms. Connolly. And it's kind of weird. His brother just died. Yes, they might have both been dock workers and maybe he's got, you know, a real work based attitude, but his brother just died, just died. I mean, he he should be somewhere grieving, Uh, I mean, unless they weren't that close, but I can't help but wonder if they were close because they weren't just brothers, they were working together. And he did seem a little bit upset, but it's like they didn't carry through with that enough. I, I think either they should have kept him his brother, but then done something extra with the character to, to where you could believe the emotional connection or make him not related. So that if you are going to have this Eduardo character that you don't have to worry about whether he's grieving or not uh, that there's a, a little bit of emotional separation there. So, uh, yeah, I think that's one thing that just didn't quite work. Yeah. And I mentioned this kind of in the beginning for me, a lot
1: of the, the dock worker strike, um, it, it drug in spots, a little bit of a pacing issue there. It revved up, but you could tell that they couldn't just explode and it'd be like all out chaos from the beginning. So, so, it felt like a lot of watching a simmering pot boil yeah. and 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 after a while, it was kind of like, okay, let's just get on with it so So, I had some pacing issues there. I think my biggest complaint, like you said, kind of talking about eduardo, was he it was almost felt like a stereotypical character, you know, it's a dock worker, so he's almost has to talk with the a, a Boston accent, and and yeah, <laughs> they all have to to kind of act like thugs, like they they're nineteen twenty dock workers and in, in New York or something. But I understand. I mean, that's just kind of what feel they were going for, and what they they wanted that to look like with the blue collar.
0: You didn't think so. it was effectively intimidating when one guy is holding that great big wrench and other guy's holding a great big hammer. No.
1: (laughs) No. I think you actually had this one too, but so I hope I don't steal all your thunder, but I'll let you you talk about it. So um, I do feel like they were appeased pretty quickly on both sides. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it was like he comes up with this big solution, it's like, and I'm just gonna grant everybody amnesty and you know this guy just basically about knocked you flat but you're good don't you want to shake their hands now and it's like oh yeah let's all just hug (laughs) it was kind of like i think there would have still been a little bit of uh friction that would have been there would have been a little bit more realistic you know you just don't go from uh punching a cop to the cops giving you a hug that's pretty much what this scene was trying to portray um and so yeah that was a little unrealistic.
0: Well no, I was okay with that I was okay with that part. What got me was the fact that okay so he reallocated some of the budget and that was to go to new equipment. That's great, but it's going to take a while to update that equipment. It's part of it is to hire new workers, great, but hiring new workers that's also a process. You've <laughs> got to wait till the equipment and the, and the workers actually get there. So those things will take a while, but there was an immediate concern about the shifts, some of them were working double and triple shifts. That was not addressed at all. And like you say, it, it was kind of uh, convenient the way they wrapped it up. It's like, oh, great, we're we've got more money, yay! Everybody, back to work. It's like, yeah. <laughs> wait, working too much was part of the problem, so they're going right back to the problem. Uh, yeah, I think that part got glossed over a little bit. I think there was there needed to be a third solution there. You know, Sinclair was able to pull some stuff out of his butt, but it still wasn't complete, I don't think.
1: Kind of reflecting on that, I will say, and this doesn't belong in Bryan Sector. I probably should have put it in one of the sectors before. One of the things that I did think was neat was how they portrayed the outside of Babylon 5 during this episode, in that every scene had, like, all of these ships like lined up outside mm-hmm. of it, ready to yeah. come in. <laughs> and I thought that was actually pretty interesting because it wasn't just the, oh, here's the station, you know, the the general station in space scenes. In every scene, there was, you know, multiple, you know, five, six. You know, you see all these ships kind of just sitting there waiting in their waiting pattern to get aboard uh, to be able to be able to dock with the uh, and with Babylon 5, and I thought that was that was actually pretty cool. It's like, oh, man, that makes sense that they, they went to that detail. Um, I know that's not a nitpick, but uh, I forgot to say it earlier.
0: Yeah, so rounding out my nitpicks, going back to when the workers were still kind of doing their strike thing, I thought it was a little bit weird that they were supposedly calling in sick, yet the next time they go in that big docking area, there's just a room full of people, and it's like, wow, are these people calling it sick, or are they not? I, I thought right. that was kind of weird. And yeah, they did that thing where they're like, oh yeah, we're sick. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're really faking being sick, then be in your quarters or in the casino or the the garden, you know, have fun. If if you're truly calling in sick, call in sick, but don't call in sick and then still be in your workplace. I just thought that was weird. And then we've already complained a little bit about the whole into thing. Yeah, the thing I was going to elaborate on was that it seemed like the character himself was also kind of half-baked. All he really does is stare, grit his teeth, and yell. But he's supposed to be this master negotiator, and I didn't yeah. see any of that actually written into the character. And so not only do you have a character that's not all there, but then you've got the actor, like I said, good in other things, but being over the top here, I, I don't know. That character just didn't work in, in from multiple directions.
1: Yeah. I mean, you would kind of think it, of- you make it to the point where you're the master negotiator so much so that they send you to, you know, the space far away for this very important strike. Your whole negotiation is get back to work. You signed a contract. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. You should have thought that (laughs) about, yeah. Any three year old can do that negotiation.
0: (laughs) That could have been done in an email.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) there was no thought there as far as yeah, you know, but in some ways we see why because it does set up sinclair to be the hero and be able to come up with the a, a cool solution so uh did you have any more for brown sector uh no that's all so that takes us into the gray sector
0: now entering gray sector beware of spoiler zone attend of sector
1: This is where we get a little bit more behind the scenes look and maybe talk about some spoilers and things that are. Nope. Yeah. Is
0: that right? Well, maybe, but I don't really have any spoilers this time.
1: We do. Unless you have questions.
0: Yeah. Uh, Maybe.
1: I mean, I'm sure I'll have some questions, but I think they're going to be easy ones in this one. Cause I think most of them are going to be like, Ooh, does this play in in the future? And you're going to be kind of like, yep, no, nope, not really. <laughs> so, so we will see. Uh, but yeah, go ahead and tell us a little bit about some of the behind the scenes stuff. But actually I'm looking at your notes and I see that you, you talked about uh, Michael O'Hare's character or the yeah. actor coming from the red eye trip from New York. And uh and being able to to play tired. and I th- Yeah. I mean, that was a fun little tidbit I found on my own. <laughs> Look, yeah, I'm getting okay. better at this, Todd. <laughs> <laughs> it's some of those books and things that you gave me. Uh, what else you got for us?
0: So most of what I have have to do with Catherine Drennan being the writer of the episode. And I probably got way too much in my notes. So I'm I'm going to kind of skip around a little bit. But yes, she was married to JMS at one time. They met at San Diego State University and they married in 1983, separated in 2002, divorced in 2003. She wrote one episode of She-Ra and two episodes of Real Ghostbusters. And those are both shows that JMS worked on. Uh, and so then later they got married. And like I said, he really wanted to avoid any sense of nepotism. So she had to go through all kinds of restrictions when it came to writing this episode. She had to get it approved with Him with two or three of the other producers. I think there was even a Warner Brothers rep that the script had to go through. So she really did have to jump through a lot of hoops. In fact, I can't help but wonder if she had to go through more because, again, I'm going to leave out some of the details, but there were a lot of rewrites for this. If I skim through my notes, there was something about how at one time one of the workers was supposed to commit suicide in one draft. And then I think that went away and then came back in another draft and went away again. Um, Let me see. Uh, The script editor, Larry Dottilio, had some uh, input. Producer John Copeland, director Jim Johnston. Let me see. Uh, At one point, uh, Kosh was in the episode. Another point, Dillon was in the episode. They're both eventually taken out. At some point, there was even a boxing match subplot. How and why that fit, I don't know, but it was removed. And some of this stuff came and went through various drafts. The Rush Act, um, did you know what the Rush Act was named after? You probably do now if you read my notes.
1: I do now just because I'm seeing your notes, but go go ahead.
0: (laughs) Okay, somebody who was kind of famous at the time was Rush Limbaugh. And, uh, she was not a, uh, a fan of Rush Limbaugh. So, so she thought that since the Rush Act had to do with something that was very anti-labor, anti-civil rights, she attached the name, uh, to him and she thought it would be kind of vague, but there were actually quite a lot of fans that, that picked up on it and, and made that guess. Uh, she liked how, uh, how a lot of the, uh, focus on Babylon five was on the characters, She liked that it was not dystopian, but not utopian either, that it was somewhere in the middle. Uh, She appreciated the dichotomy of Garibaldi, how he was kind of the closest thing to a blue-collar worker amongst the command staff, but at the same time, he was the one who was going to have to be responsible for bearing down on the strike. Oh, okay. More stuff about other drafts. Apparently, Nagrath was going to be in there at some point, the Uh insectoid guy. Uh, Something about a worker kidnaps a senator. How? Does a worker kidnap a center back on Earth? Do they actually have the center on board the station? So I guess that was in a draft somewhere. And then something about how the abductor kills kills himself. So there was like a couple different versions of suicide uh, in the script at, at some point. So things shifted around quite a bit. I think in the end, even though we did nitpick some things and there were some flaws there, I think for the most part, the episode ended up being pretty good for what it is uh, and the way that it is. And I think adding some of those other things like the boxing match and the graph and the gosh, that was too much. I think the episode was fine the way it was.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I do like the graph and I could see some interesting stuff kind of, cause that would bring in that underworld element into the, the blue collar element kind of tying them together. But I do think it would have, been a little bit more complicated and harder to fit into just one episode if they did that yeah Yeah. um so yeah it's probably good that some of that stuff fell by the wayside so
0: and then the only other nitpick that i skipped that i think is worth mentioning is that Catherine drennan also wrote the novel to dream in the city of sorrows which is one of very few, if not the only Babylon 5 novel to be considered canon outside of the trilogies. Uh, there are three book trilogies, the Psychor Trilogy, the Centauri Prime Trilogy, and the Technomage Trilogy. And those were considered canon, or at least like 99.99% canon, uh, because they were sanctioned by JMS, now actually outlined by him, even though other authors wrote them. But To Dream in the City of stars might have been Uh, the one exception to the standalone books. And I think I I could have sworn there might've been one other, but I don't even remember what that was off the top of my head. I don't have it in my notes either. So, um, so even though JMS acted like he didn't trust her because he had to make her jump through all those hoops, it really was to avoid nepotism, but he trusted her enough to write one of the novels that, that still counts as canon. So um, yeah, I, I I guess uh, they had a good working relationship in addition to their marriage, even though their marriage was temporary.
1: Yeah. They <laughs> did find that interesting, the kind of little behind the scenes that they were married and, and how that works. So that's pretty cool. Well, I think we are ready to rate this episode. And just yep. a reminder to our listeners, in case anybody may be tuning in for the first time, mm-hmm. we use a Psy rating scale which is based off the Psycore ratings. So we have a P1
0: all the way up to a P12. Todd, where did this one fall for you? Well, as I said, this one is pretty good, but still kind of sort of in the middle. So kind of the good side of the middle, right on the borderline. I gave it a P8. Okay, okay.
1: I'm right there with you. Like I said, there were definitely some slow spots. I think the whole... Plot line with Jakar and the the flower kind of saves this episode and definitely uh the the Jaquan F for for Londo and Jakar, I think is what really saves this episode. Without it, it probably would have been much lower, but I'm gonna give it a seven, a P7 out of P 12 So right
0: there with okay. you. Okay. Okay. Yeah, sounds good it's still respectable scores.
1: We always usually ask if because we're going into our spoiler zone. If there's anybody that wants to drop off, you definitely can. Um, Sometimes we'll uncover some deep, long-running plots that, you know, are going to happen in the future. And if you don't want any of those spoilers, then this will be the time to drop out. I don't know that we're going to have anything great and hidden this episode. Um, Like I said, but I do have a few questions. Todd's going to answer them for us, and we'll... Go from there. So if you do want to bow out, now's your time. And we will see you on the flip side.
0: Yeah, if All you're right, leaving Todd. now, thank you for joining us. Todd is not even bothering with the theme music at this point. This spoiler zone section is kind of short this time and not even that spoilery.
1: All right, Todd, just a couple questions. I know that there continues to be a little bit of a boiling political thing conflict between Babylon 5 and Earth, and especially the Senate, things like that. Senate kind of changes. Do we get any long-term repercussions for Sinclair as he's kind of invoked the Rush Act this way? You know, I think there's the, the last phone call he has with the one senator that's kind of warning him that he's made a lot of enemies. Do we really kind of see much of that? going forward, or is it mostly behind the scenes?
0: I think that does take a tangible t- uh, direction in one particular episode called Eyes, which is coming up in s- later in season one. And to be honest, I'm not sure I've seen that episode that many times. I might have only seen it once or twice, so I'm not even that familiar with it myself. But it's an episode where somebody does kind of threaten Sinclair's position And, uh, partially because this person kind of wants the position for, for himself. And he does bring up a lot of history throughout season one. In in fact, considering the fact that it is only season one and not even all the way through season one, he does bring up quite a lot of baggage from things that people have done on Babylon five, especially Sinclair. And this is probably one of the things that is mentioned but not necessarily in detail i don't think he gets grilled for it as much as he gets grilled in general and this is just one of several things on a list okay. um, also in general i think we will see senators less and less as time goes on um, so yeah the whole political aspect will start to wane over time
1: is this the only time we go to the docs? i kind of feel like it is
0: I think so. I think it's not the last time we see blue-collar aspects of Battle on 5. There's a Season 5 episode that is dedicated to a couple technicians. I'm trying to think. Uh, We might see a little bit of blue-collar flavor throughout the middle three seasons, maybe here and there, but only in tiny sprinkles. This is probably one of very few, if not the only truly blue collar focused episode other than the one I mentioned in season five.
1: Okay. And And
0: even then, I'm not sure you can consider those guys in season five blue collar. They might be more like gray collar because they're, well, I I guess the dock workers, I guess they're technical too. Uh, But I kind of see them as being more mechanical type technical where I think the guys in season five are more like electronic so it, it's still not quite the same thing. Okay. Okay.
1: I think that was it. And I, I don't know how much of a big spoiler this is, but I, I do like how well Babylon 5 and J. Michael they have JMS, um, builds up the conflict between Londo and, and Jakar. I think that's a, and this was kind of a really good episode at, at seeing that building tension, because you do get a real sense that there are concrete things behind the heart. You know, there's yeah, Jakar's race had been conquered by the Centauri the at one point, and now they've overcome that, and, and they're kind of being able to flex a little bit of muscle, and... Centauri is, uh, or the, the Lando was definitely mad about, uh, you know, the attack on Ragash Three and, and the capture of his nephew, and and they even used his nephew and kind of like as a prisoner and and some politics and and then to to get this something that seems very trivial just in this flower and to see the the kind of the real build of venom between the two. Is good and and I kind of already know a little bit uh, about how a lot of that's going to continue to play out over the the many seasons of of Babylon Five. Anything else to add or anything I missed? Uh no, I don't think so. Okay. I think that pretty much covers it. Well, then we're going to wrap up this episode. For all of you listening, I should have said this before we let, before I let people go with the spoilers, but we'll say it now. Um, if you like our our podcast, if you like listening to our delving in to each episode by episode, then make sure you're passing, spreading the word, ranking us on whatever pod chaser or podcast platform that you listen to. And that just helps us move up on the ranks and get uh, some more visibility and more people listening. And yeah, spread the word. Just talk to people and let them know that we're here. You can always email us at at discerninglurkersgmail.com. Let us know your opinion on this episode or any others. And you can follow our Facebook page, the Discerning Geeks Portal where you'll get information on The Discerning Lurkers and our regular podcast, The Discerning Geeks Portal. Well, Todd, I enjoyed this episode. I love exploring it and getting all the nitty gritty and behind the scenes stuff. So appreciate your expertise and can't wait for our next episode.
0: Yeah, same here, I can't wait. It's it's good to talk about Babylon
1: 5 again. For all of our listeners, just good. Con- Continue to do whatever makes you a discerning geek and join us here on this podcast and on the discerning geeks portal we look forward to talking to you some more have
0: a good evening thank you for listening